Hi, I'm Philip Anthony Elbertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And this is episode 103. Before we start, I'd like to give a shout out to the newest crop of Twitter followers Talal, Sandra Papo, or Sandra, Anti Theism, Andrew at Andy the Apostle, first disciple of humanist Jesus, uh, Guardian Angel, Cordy Mendoza, established 1980, I love to enjoy life, I fight my mind all the time, atheist. <clears throat> Ditto on the uh, fight your mind thing. I've been there. Okay. And uh, is it looks like Illidana? Me encanta la musica. <clears throat> My Spanish sucks. Forgive me. Um, and I'd like to give a special shout out to Chad Sanders. He recently sent me a tweet that I found both moving and humbling. And I'd like to read it now. At The Week in Doubt, thanks for doing what you do. I've been a devout atheist for 25 years and currently serving in Afghanistan. Thanks. I was so humbled by the tweet that I almost didn't know how to respond, but I finally settled on, I'm honored, thank you for your kind words and for your service. Hopefully that didn't sound too cold or impersonal. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that I didn't say the wrong thing. So I tried to distill my sentiments into one concise little tweet. Um, but I imagine it must not only take bravery to be a soldier in general, but it must also take a certain kind of bravery to be open about one's atheism while serving. Uh, but maybe I'm not giving the military enough credit. If I'm not mistaken, the U.S. military officially recognizes a number of religions, even some so-called fringe ones like Wicca and even Satanism, uh, strange as that sounds. Still, we tend to think of the U.S. military as being synonymous with God and country, so I imagine being openly atheistic isn't the easiest road to walk. Uh, so once again, thanks, Chad, both for your service and for listening. Thank you. Okay, so now on with the show. I want to dedicate today's episode to a discussion of the book of Leviticus. It's a book that atheists often bring up. Um, I'm reminded of when friend of the show Chris Weber, host of C-Web Sunday School, debated a Scottish Christian apologist. Um, the man's name eludes me right now for some reason, but he used the disparaging term internet atheist. It seemed to me that what he was trying to imply with the term is that there's a lot of atheists out there who, instead of doing actual research, just use recycled arguments they find online. And that might apply to some, but certainly not to C-Web or to the other atheist podcasters I listen to. I know C-Web in particular really puts a lot of time and, and effort into researching the subject matter that he covers on his show. But there are certain arguments that you do hear a lot. That doesn't mean that they don't have merit or aren't accurate, but perhaps they're uttered so much that they might start to sound like talking points to those on the other side. And this is where Leviticus comes in. You'll often hear non-believers or skeptics, myself included, quote Leviticus. It's often brought up when discussing the Bible's view on homosexuality. Fundamentalist Christians will point out that the book of Leviticus explicitly states that man should not lay with another man. And then we on the other side will point out that, yes, 
but Leviticus also prohibits the eating of shellfish and the wearing of clothing woven from mixed fabrics. And I'm sure there's plenty of Christians out there eating at Red Lobster and wearing um, some kind of polyester blend. Uh, the point being that some Christians seem to hypocritically pick and choose which prohibitions are to be acknowledged. But lest we be considered internet atheists, I figured I would devote this episode to taking a closer look at the much-mentioned book of Leviticus. It's the third book of the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible and can be found sandwiched between Exodus and Numbers. The word Leviticus is from the Latin by way of the Greek and it's a reference to the Hebrew tribe of Levi or Levi. The Levites were charged with certain priestly duties and were the only tribe denied land ownership because supposedly their inheritance was said to be the God of Israel himself. And this might help to explain why the book of Leviticus seems to be preoccupied with religious laws and regulations and painfully detailed instructions on how to properly make an offering before the tabernacle. Tradition claims that Leviticus was either compiled by Moses or at least dates back to his time. But the scholarly consensus seems to be that it dates back to somewhere in between the 4th and 6th centuries BCE during the Persian period which followed after the end of the Babylonian exile. As I alluded to earlier, a good deal of Leviticus has to do with rules and regulations regarding the making of offerings. The book opens with God addressing Moses regarding the congregation. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If a man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood, and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering, and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire upon the altar, and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And it continues in that vein, page after page, for quite some time before we get to the juicy or controversial stuff. So you can see that, for the most part, it makes for rather dry reading. And before I move on to the controversial verses, I should start to point out that, in fairness, there are some parts of Leviticus that are somewhat positive or inspirational, such as 19.18. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. That's generally positive, although I couldn't help um, to notice that it says you shouldn't hold a grudge or seek vengeance against the children of thy people, not mankind in general. Uh, but there's some other positive verses too, like Leviticus 19.10. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. And then 1913, thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. And then 1914, thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, a bit of slapstick, but shalt fare thy God, I am the Lord. And then 1915, ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness thou shalt judge thy neighbor. 
So it seems like what they're saying there is you shouldn't be biased and that a case should be judged fairly and objectively on its merits. Okay, now on to the good stuff if you can call it that. Uh, Leviticus 29. For everyone that curseth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. He hath cursed his father or his mother, his blood shall be upon him. Leviticus 20.10 And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. 2012. And if a man lie with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have wrought confusion. Their blood shall be upon them. 2013. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. 2014. And if a man take a wife and her mother, it is wickedness, they shall be burnt with fire, both he and they, that there be no wickedness among you. That's like some kind of weird kinky threesome stuff. Uh, but um, anyway, 2015. And if a man lie with a beast, he shall surely be put to death, and ye shall slay the beast. What the heck did the beast do? Um, 2016. And if a woman approach unto any beast and lie down there too, thou shalt kill the woman and the beast. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Uh, no, that one kind of makes you wonder what the heck was going on that made it seem necessary to come up with a rule to remind people not to mess around with animals. But on a serious note, it may have been similar to the prohibition against homosexuality. I've heard theories that such prohibitions may have been an attempt to keep the monotheistic Hebrews away from neighboring pagan religions that incorporated homosexual acts and perhaps even bestiality into their religious rites. Um, <clears throat> Sorry if the conversation's taken a lurid turn, and I also want to apologize if it seems like in any way I'm equating homosexuality with bestiality, as some conservative Christians do. Uh, definitely not my intent. I'm a strong supporter of LGBT rights. Uh, I'm just trying to shed some light on what the origins of those particular prohibitions um, might have been. All right, I'll continue on with some more verses. 2027, a man also or woman that hath a familiar spirit or that is a wizard shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones, their blood shall be upon them. This one seems to be in keeping with that famous bit from Exodus, Exodus 22, uh, 18, I think, that goes, thou shall not suffer a witch to live. These verses would be employed to devastating effect during the uh, witch hunts that spanned the 15th through 18th centuries. 21.9. And the daughter of any priest, if she profane herself by playing the whore, she profaneth her father, she shall be burnt with fire. This is a fire again. That is brutal, man. Doesn't get worse than being burnt with fire. Uh, I think. Uh, maybe being drawn and quartered, but uh, that's more of a medieval thing. Um, 24.16. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death, and all of the congregation shall certainly stone him. I think this one kind of encapsulates that image of Yahweh as a jealous, vengeful, and altogether temperamental and unpleasant fellow. It seems to be a rather negative and superstitious and all-too-human concept of God. If there is an actual creator, would he or she really care, never mind to the point of wanting us put to death, that we took their name in vain or showed some modicum of disrespect? It makes God seem rather petty and tyrannical. Uh, maybe an apologist might argue that has something to do with trying to maintain the sacred, 
but still ugly and disturbing nonetheless, I think. All right, I'll continue. 2544, both thy bondmen and thy bondmaids, which thou shalt have, shall be of the heathen that are around about you. Of them shall you buy bondmen and bondmaids. 2545, moreover, the children of the strangers that do sojourn among you, of them shall you buy, and their families that are with you, which you begat in your land, and they shall be your possession. 2546, and you shall take them as an inheritance for your children after you, to inherit them for a possession. And these last few passages, as you may have noticed, seem to possibly refer to or to endorse slavery. People have been arguing for centuries about whether the Bible endorses slavery or not, but maybe these are some of the verses that people tend to view as pro-slavery. Uh, maybe you could argue that it's referring more to indentured servitude or something like that, but it does seem to be describing people as possessions. Uh, food for thought. I forgot to add the verse verbatim, but I think there's something also, um, a kind of prohibition against markings in the flesh. Uh, it seems to possibly be referring to things like scarification and tattoos. Makes you think about all those Christians out there with uh, tattoos. I know there's at least one or two dudes walking around out there with huge crucifixes on their backs. <laughs> or like a weeping Jesus on their calf or something. But with that being said, I think I'm all worn out on the subject of Leviticus, so I'll call this episode a wrap. And uh, as always, you can like the Weekend Out Facebook page, you can follow the show on Twitter, you can visit the Weekend Out YouTube channel, you can visit the Weekend Out Podbean page, that's Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. And while you're there, you can check out all the archives and the most recent episodes. And if you feel generous, you can help with the show's upkeep by uh, making a donation via the PayPal widget. Uh, anything from 99 cents up. And let's see what else. Oh yeah, you can also uh, listen to the show on Stitcher. So thanks for listening and until next week.